Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for Sabbath and thank you for rest. Thank you for the gift of um, a vacation Bible school and the energy that it infuses into a church. Thank you for all the volunteers, Lord Jesus, and give them a blessed Sabbath rest today because they will need it. Um, and thank you so much, God, for all the energy that, that uh, all the pastors put into that, that are part of that, and uh, all the parents and everyone who comes together to provide ministry to our children. We're grateful for it, Father, and we're, we're blessed by it. So uh, be with us now, Father, as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week we talked about Christian behavior. And you'll remember there are a couple of things that we, that we mentioned last week that I just want to touch real quick and then we'll continue on. But we talked about how God has expectations of his children's behavior before he returns. And I kind of told you about my own upbringing in that my parents had very, very important expectations for my behavior when I was growing up. And it was worse if I misbehaved when they were away or I was away from them and they got word that I misbehaved. So in the same way, our Heavenly Father, and we, we shouldn't be surprised by this, but our Heavenly Father has expectations on our behavior while He's away. I just think that's the way it is. And we shouldn't be surprised by that at all. And there's a couple areas that we talked about. One was when it came to our appetites. God created us with these incredible appetites, right? And that's okay, it's good. We have an appetite for food, we have an appetite for all sorts of things. But what we talked about last week is that sometimes our appetites can, be, can get the best of us because we know that appetites always find opportunities, right? If you are hungry right now, you could leave church and go grab something from the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. You just could. If you had the appetite to go eat, you could go do that. If you had an appetite to go ahead and go on your Facebook and check out your status and what's going on there, you could do that. If that urge to get your social media fix came up right at this moment, you have a smartphone that you can fill that urge with, right? Because our appetites always find opportunities. But we, what we also uh, came back to is this, because we read that passage over in, in Corinthians that talks about how everything is permissible for me. Right? Remember that passage in Corinthians? Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is be beneficial. Everything is permissible to me, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says, everything is permissible to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Yeah, that's the challenge that we run into, that if indeed we allow our appetites to run wild, we may find ourselves slaves to another master. Now the Bible is interesting. In Romans chapter 6, Paul paints a little bit of a picture of this master, uh, this master-slave relationship. And it's natural for us to be turned off by that idea, especially when, as we think of how we relate to God. We're more than happy to think of God as our Father, as our Savior, as our friend. But the Bible actually portrays God as our Master, as our Lord. And Paul says this, he says, you can become a slave to righteousness. He said, you can become a slave to doing the good things. <laughs> And so often it is, we feel like we're slaves to doing the, the misbehaving, right? 
Paul says, no, 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 because of the power of God, because of, because of Jesus, because you are and you have been saved, you actually, you take on a new master and you willingly give your allegiance to your Lord and you serve him with everything that you have. And essentially you become a slave with a good master. And that's all right. I'll take I'll take my bondage to the God who saved me. Because at the end of the day, that Lord, that master has your best interest in mind. And as long as you're in his house, you're treated more like a son than you are a slave. Yeah. You're part of the family. But if indeed your appetites begin to get the best of your life, if your appetites run wild, if you get caught up in behavior that is unchristian, if you will, and you begin to go off and do all kinds of stuff that you really know you shouldn't be doing, you may wake up one morning and realize that you have a different master, and that master is not so kind and not so gracious and doesn't have your best interests in mind, and doesn't particularly even like you. So, that's sort of the warning to all of us, is to keep in mind that the Father has expectations of our behavior before he comes, before he returns. And that goes to all the Christians, all the Christ followers, all the believers. If you are not a Christ follower, if you're not a believer, if you have not pledged affection and love and surrendered to Jesus, then, then yeah, that, that, this doesn't apply to you. But for the Christ followers, for the Christians, God has expectations on our behavior. All right, so here's the passage that I want us to look at today. It comes from Ephesians, and I think I quoted it last year just out of the blue. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This will be our backdrop for today's message as we launch into it. But it says this. Listen to these words from Paul in Ephesians. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Isn't that awesome? Paul sort of helps us, again, to be reminded of the fact that the Father has expectations of our behavior. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Yeah, I love that. Verse 2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. There's another uh, implication for our behavior. At the very least, follow the example of of Christ. And he continues. He says, He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And there's another hint the notion that you and I could live such lives that it would be pleasing to God. That we would, rather than put off a stench and a bad smell, we would actually be a good aroma to God. That God would be pleased with what He sees. And what he smells of us. <laughs> That's a good thing. To please God. All right. So here's, this, this is uh, fundamental belief number 22. All right. Seventh-day Adventist church, fundamental belief 22. Now it's a little, it's a little long, but hang with me. All right. Because I think it's appropriate to read through the whole thing. So just hang with me. We are called to be a godly people. Is what it says. This is what we believe is Seventh-day Adventist who think, feel, and act in harmony with biblical principles in all aspects of personal and social life. So it's hitting real close to home. For the, Spirit, for the Spirit to recreate in us the character of our Lord 
we involve ourselves only in those things that will produce Christ-like purity, health, and joy in our lives. This means that our amusement and entertainment should meet the highest standards of Christian taste and beauty. All right, keep going. While recognizing cultural differences, our dress is to, is to be simple, modest, and neat, befitting those who true, whose true beauty does not consist of outward adornment, but in the imperishable ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit. Keep going. It also means that because our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, we are to care for them intelligently. Along with adequate exercise and rest, we are to adopt the most healthful diet possible and abstain from, abstain from unclean foods identified in the scriptures, since alcoholic beverages, tobacco, and the irresponsible use of drugs and narcotics are harmful to our bodies, we are to abstain from them as well. Last sentence. Instead, we are to engage in whatever brings our thoughts and bodies into the discipline of Christ, I like this last line, who desires our wholesomeness, joy, and goodness. All right, so there it is. That's the whole thing. That's, if you go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church website, you'll find that there, number 22, Fundamental Beliefs. Now, I will be honest with you. There are some of those lines in there that, make, that, I, don't, that I don't like particularly well, all right, that I probably would have worded slightly differently. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, in general, church and churches and religion are are. are highly focused on exterior, right, and um, aesthetics. So if you look right, act, if you looked right, there's the assumption that your heart is right or that there's the assumption that everything is okay with you. And that's, I get that. So I think somewhat in that fundamental belief that's reflected, this tendency towards making sure that you are cleaned up, shaped up on the outside, you look right, you're doing the right things, and so forth. And that's good. That there's a certain expectation of that that we should have in the church. But I'd like to kind of go a little bit of a different direction, keeping in mind the passage that we read to begin with, Ephesians 5, and this notion that you and I can become this pleasing aroma to God. And here's the idea. So um, I have a good friend, uh, really, really good friend, love him to death, great guy. He is, uh, he's an agent with the Federal Bureau of, in- Bureau of, of Investigation, the FBI, all right? Uh, great guy. And when I lived near him, he would, um, he would get like new equipment and new gear. He would get this new stuff, and he'd say, hey, come over Saturday night, and we'll get together, and you can, we can look at my cool new toys the government just gave me. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I pay taxes. I should get to play with it, right? Amen. <laughs> so we're going to go play with some cool stuff that the government just gave him. So, so sure enough, we went over, and he had, a, he had new body armor, you know, that had the cool FBI thing on there. And so I put on the body armor, and he had, um, he had some new night vision goggle thingies, and put those on, turn out all the lights, you know, and look around. And then he had, he had the newest, 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 coolest thing. He had this thermal imaging camera thingy, all right? Thermal in- imaging. So that, 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 that would um, mark, like, heat. Like, if you, were, if you were walking around, you, you actually leave, like, a little heated 
footprint. It, it shows the difference, the difference between, you know, the temperatures. It, it identifies the difference between temperatures. And so we actually sent his son running around the house, like hiding from us, and then we'd go track him down. And it was amazing because all I, all I, all I could see, or what I could see was the, I could see his little footprints and his handprints. If you put him on the door jam of a door or anything, like, I could see him playing his day. It was, it was so easy to find someone. If you play hide and seek like that, nobody, he didn't have a chance. It was great. Here's the thing with us and our behavior is that God sees everything. <laughs> right? God sees everything. He, see, he has some thermal imaging, night goggle, whatever. It does not matter. God can see us. And so it's kind of foolish sometimes when you think about how often we try to hide from God. We hide from God and we assume that, oh, he doesn't see, I'm okay, I'll be fine. And the truth of the matter is no. Here's the thing. A lot of our, a lot of our misbehavior stems from the fact that we are trying to deal with the reality we're trying to deal inappropriately with the reality of truth. We're avoiding the truth. I really don't want to deal with truth. I really don't want to deal with what this thing is that I'm doing that I probably should not be doing that falls outside, outside the boundaries of the relationship that I committed to with God. And I'm going to go ahead and just sort of pretend that he doesn't see it or pretend that it's not an issue. I'm going to avoid the truth of this matter because I just don't really want to deal with it. A lot of our misbehaving is a result of the fact that we do not want to deal with realistically with the truth and so we hide and we pretend and we do all kinds of things to avoid dealing with the real now what's also true what's also true is when it comes to behaving appropriately when it comes to good behavior it speaks to the fact that we have chosen to lean into dealing with the reality of the truth yeah. The Bible actually says, the, the, the Bible refers to this as sobriety, basically, that you're of your right mind. And so you've reached a certain level in your life where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop pretending and hiding and running from you, God. I'm just going to be real honest with where I'm at. This is me. I'm, I'm naked and vulnerable, and here I am. God, deal with me. And our willingness to, to lean into truth will make a dramatic difference in the way that we live. This is sort of God's attitude about the whole thing. God says, you love me or you hate me, but don't pretend with me. Yeah. Either love me or hate me, stay away from me, d detest me, don't claim me as your Lord and Savior. Love me, hate me, but don't pretend with me. I deal much better, God says, I deal much better with people who are willing to live in the truth, and not in lies, and not in pretension, and not hide behind some facade. Remember Jesus, when he dealt with the, when he dealt with the Pharisees and the, the, the highly pious spiritual leaders of his day, they pretty much made Jesus sick. He reserved his harshest criticism and his harshest uh, 
condemnations for the people who pretended to know him and to love him and to serve him. He had far more grace for those whose sins were on display before everyone else. He had far more mercy and patience and generosity towards the people who just, their stuff just kind of got thrown out there. It was obvious they had issues. It's a lot of the church people who, who weren't willing to say that they had issues that he reserved a lot of his condemnations for. Hey, think about it. It goes back. Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, you remember the fall. You remember God came walking in the cool of the day. And it was after the fall. And he says, where are you? To Adam and Eve. But they knew that they had sinned, that they had messed up. They weren't willing to face the truth. So what did they do? They went and they hid. They sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Before that, they enjoyed this, this openness and this transparency and this, this uh, uh, with God that was just amazing and it it was relationship and it meant a healthy good relationship but then they decide to run they decide to hide and the truth of the matter is God still comes seeking relationship with you and me today doesn't he he still comes looking and I used to think that, um, I used to think that it was kind of odd that when God came along back there in Genesis 3, that he asked the question, where are you? And I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, dude, you're, you're God. Uh, I think you know where they're at, right? And then I thought about it for a moment. Maybe, maybe in his divine will and the way that he is, and the way that God wanted to have a relationship with his creation, one of trust and intimacy. Maybe he really didn't know where they were. Maybe he chose not in his omnipotence and his omniscience to peek behind the veil of his foreknowledge. And he just didn't know. Because he, he wanted that to be that sort of relationship with them. He wanted them to know that they could always just be they could be open with them. They could be real with them. But, but sin creeped in for sure, and they run and they hide. And so God comes along. He continues to make advances towards his people because he longs for a relationship. But he knows as well, and you know this too, that if there's a lack of trust, if there's an unwillingness to deal with the truth in any relationship, it will ultimately be undermined, and it will crumble, and you will have nothing to work with. You ever, had to have, you ever tried to have a relationship with somebody who was unwilling to be truthful with you? And you knew they were lying. Because <laughs> when, when you got to them, their body language changed. They're like, uh, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> body language changes. Their tone changes, all right? Everything changes. And God says, I cannot deal with you if you're going to be like that. If you're going to try and hide behind your coverings and your little makeshift little fig leaves and all that, I cannot deal with you. Love me, hate me, but don't pretend with me. Let's keep rolling. Let's keep rolling. There's another passage that's really encouraging and powerful as, as you think about it. Um, uh, John chapter 3 and verse 19. Listen to this. It says this. Uh, 
This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. People loved darkness instead of light, it says. God comes seeking relationship. You and I retreat to the darkness. It creates an interesting thing for us. God is light. He comes into the world. And it creates a challenge for us because with that light, it sort of presents us with this sort of crisis. Because then I'm faced with seeing who I am and who I've become. And perhaps it shows me that I'm far from being the one who pleases God. Do you remember, um, do you remember back in the day, you go to the, uh, the fair? Remember the, anybody go to the fair? Go to the fair. Or a carnival. You go to a carnival. And they, they always had this, this kind of cheesy little thing that you could go through. It's called the, like the house of mirrors or the fun house. And you go in there and it's nothing but mirrors. And everywhere you look, you can see you. You look around. Ah, and you look down one way and it's like all these little images of you. And I like to think that when God when Jesus comes into the world and when Jesus, when Jesus pursues us for relationship, it's kind of like being able, having ourselves reflected back at us so that we can kind of see where we are. We cannot escape the truth of who we are. You ever look in the mirror? That's you. <laughs> That's you, baby. The mirrors don't lie. That's you. You turn to the side, that's you. And some of us, whoo, right? So they don't lie. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we realize, dude, I need to go get on a bike or I need to run or something, right? Because it doesn't lie. So God comes in as this light into the world and sometimes we're faced with what we're going to do with that, the truth of who I am and where I am. It's challenging to us. But there's good news. There's really, really good news. Uh, go to John chapter 14, verses 15 and 19. Listen to this. John chapter 14, verses 15 and 19. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, listen to this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Boom. There it is. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, right? What does he say? I will send the spirit of truth that will be with you. So God never relents from encouraging and challenging us to deal with the truth, but he doesn't leave us alone. He comes to us to help us deal with the truth. He doesn't come in and just break it, you know, kind of rock our worlds and leave us hanging. He says, no, I'm going to be with you to catch you when the harsh reality of truth lands on you. I got you. And I will build you up. And I will, I will bring you and mold you and shape you into who, who I want you to be. You are my workmanship, the Bible says. You are my masterpiece. But don't pretend you're a masterpiece before I've done anything with you. So God calls us 
But he says, I will be with you. Notice this in 2 Chronicles, another powerful passage. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, those who don't hide behind the fig leaves. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Yeah. Yeah, he says, look. I'm looking for people to strengthen. I'm looking for people to rebuild. I'm with you. Not here to crush you. But if you become broken in the process, guess what? That's a good thing because I'm a master at putting people back together. I'm a master at shaping you into who I want you to be. All right, so a few closing items on this whole idea of, of Christian behavior. And I won't have a lot of time, but we'll, we'll, we'll hit these fairly quickly. And then I want to close with a song. God's love isn't license when it comes to Christian behavior. God's love isn't license. There's a subtle narrative that you might hear in the culture and in the world and perhaps even in the church. And that is, because I am loved by God, God can never reject me. And so whatever I really do is sort of, is pretty much acceptable and I can because God loves me and that love will never end. Wrong. That love has expectations. That love comes with, a, um, with, with the idea that, that, that you will have a loyalty to this God who gave himself for you. Now that love, th th this loyalty to God and this, this Christian behavior in no way makes you um, more valuable to God. It doesn't earn you in the heaven. Don't get me wrong. This is, this is out of respect and love and loyalty to a God who's already given you heaven. This is, this, is, this is honoring the sacrifice that he did for you and me by living a life of love. That's what we looked at, at the, in the first passage, to live a life of love. So, his love towards us doesn't give us a license. And some people fall into that, oh, he loves, I can do whatever I want to. No, nope, 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 nope. God calls you to more perhaps because you are deeply loved by him and you receive that love. God's love, his unmerited favor, his grace does not give us license to just kind of go off and do whatever we want to. In fact, I'm convinced that it's, it, it actually inspires more allegiance to God and a greater desire to honor God and to please God. It absolutely does. Here's the next thing. Darkness sticks. Darkness sticks. Darkness sticks. If you hang around in the dark long enough, if you deal with darkness enough, it sticks. So when it comes to what we consume with our eyes, when it comes to what we do with our bodies, and what it, when it comes to how we relate to the world and the behaviors we get involved in, and all the stuff of the culture and in the world that could potentially be harmful to your Christian experience, you got to remember that it leaves a mark. You got to remember that you can't dabble in darkness and not expect to come away unscathed. Darkness is real and darkness sticks. Paul says in another place, he says, our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and against the darkness and against the forces of evil in the heavenly realm. It's real. It's real. Darkness sticks. All right, here's the closer. Here's the closer. The ultimate, the ultimate, um, 
The ultimate challenge that we have, and, and the, the thing that, that solves it for us, the thing that, that allows us to become people who behave appropriately until the Father returns, is not to focus on the behavior, but to focus on the Savior, people. Ah! Focus on the Savior, not the behavior. We get caught up in what we're supposed to be doing, and we miss the one who can actually change us into the people who can do it. So when I was a gymnast, I was, a good, I was good at flipping. I could, do a, I could do double back tucks. I could flip this way. But I was a terrible twister. Terrible twister. So I tried to learn how to twist, to do a full twist in the air, full twisting flip, right? So my coach told me, he says, when you go up, you have to turn your head. When you turn your head, your body will follow. Turn your head, your body will follow. The same sort of principle applies for us when we get to Christian behavior. Turn your head towards the Savior, the body will follow. Turn towards God, and the body will follow. Look to Him. Seek Him out. Uh, look, uh, look, try to call out to him. Some of us are in desperate situations right now where our behavior has, has put us in places where we shouldn't be. And we, we got to cry out, we got to call to him, we got to look to him. There's, and yes, I believe in 12 steps, I believe in all kinds of other steps and whatever you can do. But at the end of the day, the thing that will turn you will be Jesus. That's not to dismiss any of all the, all the good stuff in the world that we access to help us to get better. But at the end of the day, the thing that turns you is Jesus. We're going to sing. We're going to sing. Focus on the Savior, not the behavior. So, Yvette, come on up. Um, this song is a chorus that we all know, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I just thought it would be a really cool way to end. Would you guys stand with me? We'll sing this song. And uh, just, yeah, get on up. And uh, we'll sing this song. It's a chorus. We'll sing it through a couple of times. And, yeah, you can come up here. Or, and then I'll pray and let you, let you go. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things on earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace You're going to do that again Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow strangely. Thank you, God, for being so good to us. Thank you for your power and your wisdom and your strength and your mercy and your patience. And wherever we might find ourselves this morning, Father, may we be reassured and confident 
in your grace. May we be reassured and confident in the reality of the fact that you are deeply in love with us and you long to be with us and you have not given up on us. So come to us, Lord, and may we receive you and may we find strength in you to live according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.